0: On this week's 51%, we're finally getting out of the house. Travel agent Jean Gagnon shares how to plan ahead this vacation season.
1: You have not only the two-year pent-up travel demand, but then you have the people who normally would have traveled this year. People have to be flexible. They have to book far in advance.
0: And we also speak with cyclist and self-proclaimed worldwide nomad Rachel Yassine about what drives her adventures. Coming up on 51%.
2: I was standing around like one of those girls I have seen in a movie The whole world was a movie back then I had my sunglasses on I wanted to be seen without seeing Shiloh Alita I wasn't really in it I didn't really get it
0: You're listening to 51%, a WAMC production dedicated to women's issues and stories. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jessie King. I've been sitting on this episode for a long time. I'm very much a homebody, but if there's one thing the coronavirus pandemic made me daydream of, it's travel. Because of course, COVID-19 pretty much stopped it. For the past two years or so, we've all been staying closer to home for good reason, I might add. But now that states are relaxing their COVID-19 restrictions and the Omicron variant appears to be on a decline, more and more people are feeling optimistic about dusting off their suitcase. Overall, travel in the U.S. is bouncing back. So if you're looking for advice on your spring and summer vacations, some travel motivation, or just an excuse to daydream about the trips you would take if it weren't for COVID-19, today we've got you covered.
1: Good afternoon, Plaza Travel. Can I help you?
0: Yeah, we're open today until 5. Jean Gagnon is a veteran vacation planner and president of Plaza Travel Center in Latham, New York. She says the pandemic decimated every corner of her
1: industry, but slowly the calls are coming in. We do a lot of international travel here, so we are very affected by the uh, testing requirement that is still in place by the U.S. government that you have to test 24 hours before you return to the U.S. As soon as that gets pulled, which we're hoping will be fairly soon, um, then travel will really get blown out of the water.
0: I guess that kind of leads
1: into one of my next questions. So, like,
0: if people are traveling, like, when people are planning for their travels, what should they be keeping in mind still?
1: Okay, they still have to book really really far in advance that is the number one way to save money people say oh I'll wait because maybe the fares will go down airfares don't go down once in a while a hotel offers a last minute deal but it's usually not any place that you can get an airfare to so you really really should plan in advance I will give you an idea so um, you have not only the two-year pent-up travel demand but then you have the people who normally would have traveled this year you know so you've got three years worth of people trying to travel. I had a family trying to go to Hawaii in July. Now you would think, oh, July, that's like, you know, four months away. Could not find what they were looking for. People have to be flexible, they have to book far in advance, and they should try to plan to travel on the off times for their destination. So for example, Hawaii is a huge family Uh, destination. So July and August, very busy. Fares are going to be up. You go in May, you're going to save a lot of money if you're flexible. Um, Same thing with Europe. July and August, very, very expensive. Go in September or October if you can, or again in May. Caribbean, actually goes down in the summer because it's so hot they're more popular in the winter when it's cold here so if you want to go to the Caribbean go like in June or September it'll still be beautiful weather but you'll pay a lot less money so if you want to try to save money and have uh, less crowded areas you want to travel when it's not the peak time what's hot right now
0: where are people going
1: the national parks is still very, very hot. People are trying to stay within the U.S., the majority of people, because they are concerned about doing their testing before they return to the U.S. So everywhere in the United States is very, very hot. Uh, national parks, Florida... Is, is always busy, and it's even busier this year, uh, Hawaii, very, very big this year. I've seen had more people book Hawaii this year than ever before because it's still a very foreign-feeling place, and yet it's considered a domestic flight. Um, the Caribbean is starting to come back. Uh, cruises are starting to come back, and Europe as well. It's funny because people think trips um, or vacations are sort of like um, on a shelf and I can just pick theirs off the shelf. All trips have to be built. Even if there's a package at the hotel, you have to build it with the flights. And if you go on a weekend, it might be more than during the middle of the week. So every trip you have to sort of see what is out there. And it's also people will say, well, how much is an average hotel? And it's like that's like saying how much is an average car? You know what I mean? I mean, do you want an old car, a little two-door economy, or are you looking at a Mercedes-Benz? So there's no uh, cookie-cutter thing. So we have to talk to the people, find out what they want to do, how long do they have. If you only have four days, you're probably not going to go to Hawaii. If you have three weeks, that's enough time to go to Australia, New Zealand, or, or Africa. You know, so your parameters guide us into what we would suggest for you.
0: When you're doing the actual planning, like what's the first thing you book? Is it the oh, flight always or the hotel? Air, air? always okay.
1: air. Yes, it, it always goes in that order. First, we need people to determine what dates they want to go, so we can book the air. You want to bookend the trip with the air going and the air coming. So because of that, you really have to decide the itinerary first. So for example, if you're going to Europe, if you're going to Italy, uh, are you going to fly into Rome and fly home? from Venice, for example, which is a great itinerary. So that's fine, but let's book those flights first. Then we fill it in with how many nights are you in each place so we can book the hotels. Then once we have that booked, we book the transportation. You're going to take the train between the two of them. You're going to drive a car. And then the last thing that we fill in is usually like any kind of sightseeing. Like if you're going to be in Rome, you want to uh, get a reservation to see the Vatican. But we usually do that after the rest of the stuff is in place.
0: What are the ways that you are seeing people traveling? Like what are the reasons they travel? What ways do they travel?
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I believe that different people travel for different reasons, okay? Some people just want to get away from their everyday life. They want to relax. They want to lay on a beach. That's what they enjoy doing, their vacation. They want to do almost as little as possible. There are other people that want to do a combination of activities. You know, I want to kayak. I want to hike. And I want to lay on the beach. So there's a certain destination that fits them. And then there are people, uh, I, for one, just love to see new places. I love um, different food. I love uh, seeing different cultures. I love the history. And for them, that's a different vacation. I mean, yes, you can go to Aruba because there's sunshine 365 days of the year. But you're not going to see seven days worth of culture and history. You know, it's a small island, you know, things like that. Um, So someone like that might want to go to Europe, or they want want to go to South America. What I enjoy doing uh, in the morning, which would be walking around uh, a new city and going to the local market, somebody else might want to sleep in bed until 11 and then have a light lunch by the pool. So you really have to find out why that person is traveling so you can determine what destination is best for them.
0: My travel partner is probably the type of person who would want to lay in bed until, like, 11 o'clock or noon. (laughs) And I'm the person who would want to get up and explore. So, like, if you're trying to travel with somebody but also, I guess, mitigate those differences,
1: do you have any tips for that? Well, yeah. You have to to then say, well, what is the most important? So do you still want to travel together? Are you willing to compromise? So Mm -hmm. if the case is yes. So then you have to find a place that, for example, you want to go somewhere that you can get up feel comfortable leaving the hotel by yourself and going and doing something while the other person, you know, lays in bed, which is fine. Um, so if you went to Paris, you could get up in the morning, go get a croissant, walk around the small little villages. Uh, uh, different parts of Paris are like little villages, and then come back at 11 o'clock. I don't know if it's because I've traveled so much or if it's just my nature that I would probably tend to be more in the fearless side, whereas I feel that, you know, people say, well, I heard that there's a lot of crime in London. Well, yeah, but depending upon where you are, there can be a lot of crime in Albany. So you have to know where to go and where not to go. So I think uh, women traveling alone have to equip themselves with the knowledge to know what can I do, what shouldn't I do. You know, walking around at 3 o'clock in the morning is not a good idea no matter where you are if you're by yourself. Traveling in pairs and and numbers is always good. Uh, During the day, though, it's usually not a problem because people are living, people are working. Perceived danger is sometimes just that. It's a perception.
0: You talked a little bit about it earlier when you were talking about, you know, booking early to save on money. Are there places that would match a smaller budget that would be good to go to? Or do you still have, in general, tips to, I guess, travel on a budget because a lot of us are broke? Okay,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing, if you're traveling on a budget, is you do want to plan as far as possible ahead of time, okay? Because there are smaller hotels or uh, B&Bs that might be less expensive. But if they're good and they're less expensive they're going to be popular people are going to know about them driving is always an alternative and there are fabulous places just to go in our area for great vacations that you could drive to there's a wonderful uh, website and I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it it's called um, only in New York and they have them in each state there's an only in Massachusetts and you can go on there and they talk about interesting things to do in your state and a lot of them are free state parks that you may have never heard of a lot of state parks have cabins. So yes, they have camping too, but for me, there's like no way I'm going camping. But some of them do have cabins. So you could go to a state park on Cape Cod and stay in a cabin on the beach for a ridiculously low price, but you may have to book it two years ahead of time because it's going to be popular. And
0: lastly, are there any, like, I guess, underrated places that you think people should be going to see more?
1: Portugal is an incredible place small country, so it's easy to get around, some of the cheapest prices you'll find anywhere in Europe. I mean, ridiculously low prices. Friendly, friendly people, incredible history. I mean, Portugal at one time was a uh, a huge naval power. But I think Portugal is one of those places that is really, really underrated.
0: All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really thank appreciate you. it.
1: I appreciate it.
0: spoke with our next guest toward the end of last summer during a pit stop on her massive cycling tour from new england to chicago rachel has seen as many things a posture alignment therapist life coach public speaker but at 45 years old she gave up just about all of it to pursue her own adventure as a worldwide nomad the 836 miles between her sister's home in rhinebeck new york and chicago illinois seemed like quite an ambitious trek to me but it's nothing compared to the 30,000-mile worldwide cycling tour she wrapped in Australia shortly before our conversation. Her story may not be for everybody, but as she cycles from city to city, Yassine says her goal is to encourage others to be their authentic selves and pursue their dreams, no matter what those dreams might be.
3: I really wanted to share my stories and experiences and inspire other people to pursue their own adventures here in America. And when I show up in communities, on my fully loaded bicycle. And I'm like, yeah, I just came from like 70 miles away. People can really get into their heads, oh, that's how this is working.
0: And so let's go back to the beginning then and sort of like how you got started doing this. You've been going around the world for the past three years. Yeah, I have.
3: I guess what prompted the decision to do that? I know it's a big deal, right? (laughs) So I spent about 25 years of my adult life living in Tucson, Arizona. And I did a lot of different entrepreneurial things. But it came to a time where I felt like I just knew that I needed something else. You know, when I was... In my early 20s, I really had these dreams about living nomadically and traveling the world, but I fell in love and I married a man that didn't really have those dreams. And so I traveled a little bit, like on, you know, three, four week vacations, but nothing about like what my imagination was like. I just... Knew I needed something else. I decided to go to Spain and walk the Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage in northern Spain. It's about five weeks, it's about 500 miles. While I was doing it, it was Fantastic. And I really found out how strong I was. And then at the end, I had been walking with some people, and I was in the office where you get the certificate where it says, Congratulations, whatever, you've completed this. And the person that I was with wrote Traveler as their profession. I don't know why, but you had to write your profession. And I was just totally like, I mean, struck. And I actually started crying because I said, I want to be a traveler. That seemed very difficult. I had a family. And when I came back to America, it just seemed really clear to me that that life that I had dreamed about in my 20s was really what I needed to pursue and that I couldn't really be the person that I was when I was living that other life. So that's how I like quickly when I got back to America, just realized that I needed to make a big change. And um, yeah, it, it was a it was a transition. But at some point, I decided that I had to live, I had to be like a different sort of mom than other moms. I had an eight-year-old, and um, I had to just show him and myself that you're the best person when you pursue what you're passionate about, even when it's not popular with the people around you.
0: And so what was it like making, having to make that decision? Like, how did your friends and family uh, react?
3: It was horribly uncomfortable. You know, it was funny because someone might think, like, you're going to give away all your things and start living nomadically. How scary you know, but that was easy. That was natural. That's what I feel like I was supposed to be doing all along. But yeah, I mean, I think that to most people, I was living like a model perfect life and to disrupt everything was very upsetting to family and friends. And when you make a disruption like that, you know, especially for me, it was it wasn't clear. It wasn't clear what direction this was going. I didn't have a plan. That makes it even harder for people, you know? And you kind of have to sit in that discomfort and be willing to be uncomfortable with yourself knowing that, like, in my heart, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Has the
0: response sort of gotten better now over the past several years?
3: Yeah, absolutely. While it isn't what any of my family members would choose for their own life, and sometimes I think that they wish that I would be normal. (laughs) (laughs) then I do feel a lot of support from the people around me. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah
0: so let's talk about some of the places you've been over those past six years. Yeah. So, do you mostly like bike or do you hike? Like, What's your preferred mode of traveling?
3: Yeah. So in the beginning, when I just decided to become a worldwide nomad, it was really unclear. I wasn't really sure what format that it was going to take. And so it took a little while to really start to realize that, OK, I would like to make this a cycling trip around the world. It originally started... With my partner, so new partner in Denmark. And I rode to Croatia with him. And it was really like, okay, this is interesting. And we already had a ticket book to Thailand. So I thought, all right, well, we'll officially start the trip in Thailand and just started riding in Thailand. And I really wanted to set up challenges because for me, I feel like growth happens when you set up challenges for yourself purposely. Not like all of a sudden, like you get divorced or all of a sudden a pandemic happens or all of a sudden, you know, there's like a tsunami. But like where you really set up challenges for yourself and accomplish them or maybe fail. And that's okay too. I've done that. But I think you find out who you are and you find out how strong you are. So one of the things that originally in the beginning, I said, okay, we'll start in Thailand and I want to go to southern Myanmar. And Myanmar is no one goes to southern Myanmar because There's very few places you're allowed to stay, and you have to cycle great distances, and there's really no infrastructure for tourism. But I thought, okay, this sounds interesting. The three blog posts I read, none of the people were successful. So I thought, yeah, now I really want to try this. Um, And we did, and it was incredible. We made it. Um, And then continued cycling through southern Thailand. You cut back into Thailand from southern Myanmar, um, and then down through Malaysia and Singapore and then hopped to the different Indonesian islands um, and then got to Timor last day and hoped to be able to get a sailboat to Australia because the whole concept was to be human powered and not fly. And that was just it was the middle of cyclone season and it just wasn't possible. So I flew to Darwin, which is just like a quick hour ride, which is in the northern part of Australia. And then and then it was COVID and spent the last year and a half in Australia.
0: Uh, before we get to just sort of what traveling is like in COVID, I thought I'd ask a sort of like, how do you go about making these plans and decisions? And I guess the actual getting from A to B, like, do you have a certain destination in mind where you're like, I know I'm going to stay here? Or is it more like, OK, I'm going to bike to the city and then hope to find a place to stay?
3: Oh, wow. So there's the larger scope which is how is this going to look over like the next six months? And then there's like, where am I going to go tonight? Or how am I going to get to tonight and tomorrow night and the next night? So typically, really just looking at the map and identifying where there's places to stay. Mm -hmm. If I'm in the middle of nowhere, like in Australia, there might not be a choice. I'm loading a whole bunch of food and water on my bicycle, and I'm just wild camping so when I'm done for the day I'll literally pull off the road find a spot to camp in the middle of nowhere there's there's no humans there's kangaroos you know and some birds if there's towns then sometimes we'll stay in a hotel if there's somewhere that we know that we're getting to and it's like um school holiday then sometimes I'll plan ahead but not usually. I like the flexibility because you don't know where you're going to end up each day. And I like not knowing.
0: How much stuff do you have on your bike? Like how much are you bringing with you? What are, what are like sort of like the financial costs that are a part of it as well?
3: Such good questions. So the more you carry, the more you have to pull with you. And I am a minimalist, thank goodness, because it's heavy. I like to carry a couple different changes of clothes for cycling maybe like a little dress and depending how cold it is like I'll have maybe some smart wool top and bottom and some kind of like heavy coat and my sleeping bag my tent a stove for cooking like everything is super lightweight Um, you saw my bike it's pretty minimally loaded like when I show up to places people are usually surprised Um, how do you keep in shape for this I did not necessarily prepare For this, it wasn't like I thought, okay, I'm going to train for it. I think the training happens while you're doing it. That said, it's a lot of repetitive motion all the time. I mean, we're all doing some kind of repetitive motion all the time, whether we're sitting or we're on a bicycle or even like professional athletes are doing their motion. And so as a posture therapist, that is a big deal for me. I am constantly advocating for doing the posture exercises, and I do them every single morning take like 30 minutes to do them.
0: And so let's talk a little bit about like what it was like traveling during COVID. How did that whole experience happen for you?
3: Oh, it was super interesting because I got in to Australia literally within hours of it closing to foreigners. And so then I was locked down for 3 months in Keynes, Australia, which couldn't have been a better place to be locked down. It's absolutely beautiful. When we were released, And I say released because all of a sudden there was an announcement that we could leave. Then we made sure that we didn't go to areas where there was COVID. So COVID was really isolated to Melbourne and Sydney area and just skipped that whole area. So I cycled about 15,000 miles over the course of a year through Australia, but just skipped the COVID. Traveling was just about making sure that I was in the right area at the right time.
0: Okay, so then let's talk about, uh, so you're going to Chicago now and sort of how that is
3: working for you. Really, actually, the Northeast all the way to Chicago is completely foreign to me. I'm much more comfortable in Europe and Asia and Australia than I am here. I don't know about, I mean, I, I was actually really intimidated by the ticks and... Then I heard about the black bears. And so I'm, I'm really not familiar as familiar with this area. Uh, and really, the whole reason that I'm doing this is to connect with as many people as possible. So as I'm cycling along, I'm giving talks and workshops. The talks are meant to inspire people to pursue their own adventures. Because I believe that everyone has an adventure in them that's calling to them. And that sometimes we don't do them because... We're scared. We don't know that we can do it. We're scared that if we can do it, the people around us might not be supportive. We might not have the imagination to even, like, know what, what it is that we know there's something, but not exactly sure what it is. And sometimes we just don't want to disappoint people. It's very easy to come up with all kinds of things about why you can't do something. I notice it for myself. I am constantly coming up with reasons why I can't do something. And the truth is that until like you come to a point in your life, where you feel like you just need to do something, you're probably not going to challenge yourself. But when you when you do, and you start to really realize the reward of it, then it's it's nearly addicting and it's actually it makes you such a stronger person and you really get to know yourself so much better and when you do that you're just you show up better for other people one of the things that i've been thinking about lately is you know the your headphones and you know how they get tangled up and you know how you can't just like pull them you have to like carefully like undo them for me I think that's what moving through the world and cycling is about. It's like I think that like we get all tangled up and I feel like moving and cycling is this slow way for me to untangle and to really like see myself.
0: And I guess uh, one of my last questions as someone who has seen way more of the world than I have, what are some of uh, like your favorite places and um, some things that you've sort of learned from seeing all these different places and cultures?
3: Yeah. You know, it's funny because in Australia, people wanted to know where my favorite place in Australia was because I think I saw more of Australia than most Australians see. So they're curious, like, where should they go? And my favorite was the middle of the outback where there was nobody. And the stars, it could almost bring me to tears. The stars are like, you can't even imagine it because there's no light pollution. And the sunrise and the sunset and just hearing the birds, the magic of just being out there is is absolutely incredible.
0: Rachel Yasin is a public speaker, adventure coach, and self-proclaimed worldwide nomad. You can follow her travels on Facebook at Rachel Yasin Worldwide. Rachel, thanks so much for stopping by the studio. Oh, thanks. It was a
4: pleasure. (laughs)
0: Our last guest today is the founder of the Solo Female Traveler Network, a community of nearly 500,000 women travelers or aspiring travelers online. Members frequently share photos on Facebook from their adventures, solicit advice on everything from flight planning to homesickness, and occasionally connect on meetup tours organized by the network. Founder Amanda Black says it all started as a way to empower women and help them feel safer on their travels. She spoke with Dr. Sharon Uffberg, co-founder of the California-based personal development and wellness company Borrowed Wisdom, for her 51% segment, Force of Nature.
4: I had been traveling solo for many years. And um, as a woman alone in certain parts of the world, I found myself once in a while in a situation where I felt a little vulnerable and I could have used some support, uh, from people like me. My last straw was when I was in Mexico and I had just gotten there and I went out for a beer and a taco around the corner. And while I was gone for those few minutes, somebody had broken into my room and stolen everything. Uh, literally everything except my dirty clothes and thankfully my passport. But I remember standing in the streets of Cancun, knowing no one, thinking, okay, what do I do now? And I knew that there would be plenty of people around me who would be willing to help me out, but I didn't have a way to connect with them. So as soon as I got home and as soon as I replaced my computer, I started a Facebook group. And it was meant originally for my travel friends and their travel friends to have a place to turn for everything, for situations like this, for travel advice, for inspiration. And then a few years into having the group, we decided we wanted to travel together and we started operating organized tours.
5: I had that experience myself as a traveler, so I totally can relate to that. So this Travel network is now been going on for about five years. What would you say you've learned about what women want from travel?
4: I started out really just trying to provide what I really want from travel and what my most rewarding moments encompassed. Uh, That's first of all, community, community, connection. It's difficult to make friends as an adult no matter who you are and especially when you're doing something a little bit off the beaten path like traveling to different parts of the world by yourself so being able to connect with women who understand you and women who have maybe found themselves in similar situations as you have is our number one value second of all we really believe in empowering women Empowering women to chase their dreams, to say yes to themselves, to uh, discover who they are. And I believe that the best way to do that is through travel. And when you travel, it teaches you things like gratitude and humility. Those are two things that have really, I've really learned from travel and have changed me as a person. And so our travel experiences aim to give women the time and the space and the experiences to feel all of those things, empowered, grateful, humble, and connected.
5: Amanda, can you give us a story that might illustrate how your network um, has accomplished this goal of helping individual women within a community like, you know, you were so needing in that moment in Cancun too long ago?
4: Yeah. So there are so many examples of this. If you get into our Facebook community, which is free for everyone and just scroll, you'll see lots of examples. But my one of my favorite, most powerful examples happened a few years ago when there was a woman who had met her partner, her boyfriend somewhere in her travels and she decided to go home with him. He, he lived in Turkey. So she went home with him and she had been traveling with him for a, little, for a little while and he turned abusive. After a big blow up, she locked herself in the bathroom at his apartment and she had her phone with her and she had tried to call the police. He was banging on the door, trying to get in. Uh, she felt really threatened. She had been trying to call the police and they wouldn't come. So she posted in our community explaining what happened and she got thousands of comments. So many that we had to, we had to shut it down. We were all overwhelmed by the outpouring of support and love and wanting to know if she was okay when what happened, but we had a handful of members who lived in Turkey and even lived in the town that she was in. So ultimately we had members from all over the world calling the police in Turkey and most helpful. We had women who spoke the language calling the police. And once the police came and they did got her out safely, the women from our community were there to greet her and to help her on her journey back home.
5: That is really fantastic. That, you know, that really is a perfect example of what you're, community initially was designed to do and how people can rally when, when someone's in need exactly i would love to hear what's next for you how people can find you so tell us a little more
4: the best place to start if you want to join our community is to just find us on facebook we also have a free community off of facebook that you can find on our website, which is sophietravel.com, S-O-F-E, travel.com. Our team is working hard to create more destinations. We have a volunteer program that we're working on currently to supply some more direct help to these organizations that we visit on our tours. And we have some big picture projects around aiding in the, the end of sex trafficking, um, gender violence. We're, we're currently looking for a perfect fit in a partner for one of those causes. So anyone is welcome to contact me directly. My email is amanda at sophietravel.com. We look forward to, to welcoming anyone who, who wants to join our community.
5: Um, that was Amanda Black from the Solo Female Traveler Network. This is Dr. Sharon Uffberg on Force of Nature for 51%.
0: You've been listening to 51%. 51% is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. It's produced by me, Jesse King. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok and our theme is Lolita by the Albany-based artist, Girl Blue. A big thanks to Jean Gagnon, Rachel Yassine, Amanda Black and Dr. Sharon Uffberg for taking part in this week's episode. To learn more about our guests or just the show in general, check us out at wamcpodcast.org. Of course, I haven't forgotten, it's Women's History Month. We've got a great roundup of stories coming to you in the next few weeks. Until then, I'm Jessie King for 51%. I
2: was every single girl, I was nobody else, I was so sure of myself. I was 15 and a half, he was a hollow laugh, and I lost my cool. Somewhere along the way At night down the hallway I had to learn How to look away I lost my cool No electricity Hot rain on the concrete Sweeping